Folks, thanks for coming back for part two of my interview with Teddy Hose. As mentioned before, Teddy's a very good friend of mine. I've known him for many years, and he agreed to be my guinea pig as I worked through this format. So again, this episode is going to have some jagged edges. Please bear with us through that. More importantly, Teddy's a designer by trade. He's worked with loads of customers, including Nickelodeon, the Food Network. He's worked with Milton Glaser, the guy who designed the iHeartNY logo. And you can see more of his portfolio online at teddyhose.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. Perhaps his most important customer of all is me. Teddy agreed to do the artwork for the logo for this project for free. But I made a deal with him. I said, if I ever figure out a way to make any money from this podcast... Teddy's going to be first in line to get paid. So if you would like to support this podcast and support what I'm doing, I've set up a Patreon page. Please donate if you feel compelled to, if you want to support this project, if you want to get Teddy paid. I'd also like to say that for Patreon contributors at some point in the future, I'm going to start adding additional content, probably in the form of videos for these interviews. My goal is to keep the website and the audio free forever to make it accessible to anyone that's grown up in this cult or other cults. The goal with the video is just to give a little something extra to to the people that do contribute. And just so you know, this project is entirely self-funded by me, Elgin Strait, so any contributions would be greatly appreciated to help me continue this and reinvest in it and make it bigger. Just in terms of timing, this interview was recorded in October of 2020. That date is relevant because Trump was still president, and that's something that we talk about in this episode. We also talk about some unusual connections to Reverend Moon, including Stan Lee, Mike Judge, and Jeff Bezos. We talk about the KCIA, that's the Korean CIA, and we dive deeper into the topic of kids being abandoned so that their parents could go off and do mission work for this cult. Thanks again to Teddy for getting involved in all the ways that he has. Here it goes, part two of my interview with Teddy Hose, which starts mid-conversation about the church's activities in the UK, specifically in London. Yeah. 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 I went in 97. They offered to pay for my plane ticket to do a workshop there. And then we went up to Edinburgh. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if I brought this up last time, but yeah, no, I remember that building. It's like amazing. Okay. Yeah. I guess they own the whole building, right? Yeah. They own like two, I guess it's the equivalent of like two, like two houses or two like big ancient manor houses yeah. next to each other. Aided cul-de-sac, right? Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, that building has got to be worth, I mean, tens of millions. Probably could be even be more than, wouldn't surprise me if the whole building could be sold for over a hundred million. Um, yeah, right across from Hyde Park. Yeah. Bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that's why when I tell people about the Moonies, I'm like, it's kind of like Scientology. Like they were going for the, you know, try and get the celebrity endorsements and they were yeah. trying to be in with pop culture and make their own pop yeah. culture. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It was, yeah. 
really nice and like things like that i think it shows you i mean i remember in one of my interview like videos on youtube like for this other guy's channel someone in the comments was like some young moon's accomplishments speak for themselves enough said or something like that <laughs> i was like i can see how you would say that because he has these extremely decadent like beautiful luxurious mansions that we yeah. all kind of played at and like yeah out around and had to get up at five in the morning about yeah it. but um like uh but that's all exploited money <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's off, like, shady political like uh yeah yeah anyway. <laughs> it's all exploited right like you were talking about last time it's all it's all labor trafficked that's how he could afford all this stuff was on the backs of yeah free labor I'm just kind of wondering, actually, so I was trying to do some mental maths in a different conversation and, and we got sidetracked and never got to not never got to the answer. But I'm trying to figure this out, like how many of us are there in the world, you know, kids that grew up in this cult. And I was just trying to do some rough approximations in the previous conversation where, OK, so my my parents were, you know, one of eighteen hundred couples that were blessed. Yours were were they were they in the same one or maybe maybe a previous one? No, they were the big seven, 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 seven. Very providential, yeah. my friend. Well, well, well done. Meaning that, well, just for anyone else listening. Yeah, I, I think it, it was like one of the. Was it the first mass wedding in America? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, like they, so in you know in Asia, like there's a lot of credence towards, or there's a lot of respect given to hierarchy and elders. Yeah. So my yeah. parents got that respect of being some of the elder yeah. members. They weren't particularly into it they kind of were like turned off by people who treated them as seven, yeah seven, seven. so seven just for, for round numbers seven and seven hundred seventy seven let's call it 800 my parents were one of 1800 couples that were matched and, and married in the church that's so 2600 couples then madison square garden in 84 i think that was a big one i don't know exactly how many i could probably look it up but i'm thinking like four to five thousand couples at that point, maybe more. Two, I think. It might have been 82. And then some more afterwards. But to me, at least kind of like of our age cohort, those seem like the big ones. And then, although, you know, they're clear there have been other ones later. But if you look at those, like, okay, 1,800 plus 800 is, you know, 2,600. Let's just say there are another 2,600 at the, in 84, 82 in Madison Square Garden. So that's like 5,000 5, couples, give or take. And I think that's a low estimate. And let's say each of those had on average minimum one kid, but I think probably the average is like two to three. I would say obviously some didn't have any, which is its own story. And that's a whole crazy story. Some of them had like six or seven, but if you just say on average, like, you know, two to three, that's like a minimum, you know, 10 to 15,000 of, you know, people like you and me. And I personally know, you know, a couple hundred, you know, so it's probably that, like that number. I don't know. But I guess, so I, I guess I, I just, just trying to think about this, like there's actually a decent number of kids out there. You know, we're, we're not kids anymore, but, you know, people who went through this. And I think that's a low estimate that like 10 to 15,000. And that's, yeah, I think it's a low estimate. Yeah, I never thought about that. Probably more in Asia, though, because I think in America, like, the church is less, I feel like it's a little more ingrained in society. Like, there's like a Unification Church news channel, I think, either in Japan or Korea. It's more kind of like seeped into like everyday life there. Uh, whereas here in America, I think, you know, also the fact that we're like a different ethnicity, like we look different. Yeah. 
I think that gives it this exoticism that maybe people don't want to get as near unless they're looking for a guru which you know was like a bigger thing in the 60s and 70s yeah so i feel like these days people maybe dismiss it as that weird like asian thing or whatever yeah yeah i I mean i and i definitely think it's dying i sort of feel like us and maybe like you know five to ten five to ten years beyond us like probably the, the the peak number of second generation you know unification church members being born per year was probably I would say five to 10 years after I was born, I was born in 81. So like, you know, late mid to late eighties, probably be maybe early nineties would be like the peak of, you know, at least in the U S I don't, I can't really comment on other places, but that's just kind of like finger in the wind, just trying to think about, yeah, how many of us there are. But since then, I think like there've been a lot less of the arranged marriages, just that the overall number I think has dwindled quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. might actually go back after this and try and put some, do a bit of research and put some numbers to that. Uh, well, they have a like, re, what is it? Re, renew your vows or something. It's like, re, it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're reaching because they can't get the new couples. <laughs> yeah. They just need like that PR of having like a huge crowd of people. Yeah. I, I feel like they, there's this like rhythm that they try of like every, you know, one to two years trying to get like like a big crowd of people together and making a big deal about it. Yeah, that's how they make money. So. Yeah. But yeah, they, I mean, even when I was a kid, when I was like in high school, even maybe middle school, like, you know, they had a lot of those. And, and like Shen Yun from Falun Gong, they do this yeah. too, where um, okay. a lot of their own members come to the event and it's only maybe 10 to 15 guests and the, the rest of the hundreds of people are just like, insiders who like clap yeah. and cheer and they try to get the you know the new recruits like yeah yeah, yeah. I, I remember going i mean i i'm sure you and i went to so many of these flipping you know events when we were kids and teenagers and you know true mother is having this speaking tour and true father is having this speaking tour and you go to these events and like yeah it was like everyone like you say, like 90% of the people that were there were, were church members and like the kids of church members. It was really yeah. rare to see any actual guests at any of these things. It was like shockingly yeah. rare. I remember like when I first started to think about that when Moon was giving a speech, like maybe in the early 90s, and he said something against like homosexuality. Mm. And I just saw a guy like get up and walk out. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's like, oh man, he's smarter than us. Like that's what I was really thinking. He yeah. To like progressive, like, <laughs> like in society, he doesn't want to come to our bubble. I love, I love, I love that. Just, just get up and walk out. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just like you can't really throw a curveball with that. Yeah, I remember going to. You can see there are these videos on YouTube of of Reverend Moon speaking at the. I think it was like the tenth anniversary of the Washington Times. Or something, oh, yeah. or something like that. Maybe fifteenth <laughs> or twentieth anniversary. I don't. I don't know exactly, but so you can see him, and he he gets these like video like words of congratulations from like George Bush Senior, yeah. as well as some other. I think Ronald Reagan did did some as well. Like all these really like big wigs in the right right wing were like giving him words of congrats, and it was like this big banquet and stuff. But anyway, I I was in I was in the room when that happened. I was probably oh. like like wow. around around 10 years old because both my parents worked for the times and they brought me and my sister uh, and it was oh. obviously it was like a big deal and stuff but i remember they brought us and they also brought my uncle 
and my cousin, my, and my cousin was, is maybe like 10 to 15 years older than me. So if I was 10, he was like maybe around 20, 25. And I just remember looking at them like in the middle of this and just their faces were just, what the, the fuck is this? Your cousin? (laughs) Yeah. My cousin, right? Just like, what is this? Cause he, I mean, yeah, he, Moon was going off on like all just all kinds of stuff. People should watch that video if they're interested because he's just you could tell he's just mental. Yeah. And I actually think I actually think just thinking back, I think that was actually one of the moments where I would it's something about like actually seeing other people in the room and just trying to think about what they're thinking about in that moment. I think might have been one of actually the first times where I actually started to question things. And I'm actually just thinking about this now, but yeah, I think just seeing the look on other people's faces because if you believe all the hype of the church basically the hype is that you know anyone who like lays eyes upon this guy is like immediately enthralled with with his truthiness effectively (laughs) and then like you see these people who like in theory should be mesmerized by him and they're like wait what (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry it's like he's past his prime he sounds like a wacky old man by then like yeah the way he spoke with that like gristle like the yeah like no he would he said like at the time i remember the campaign like that he was trying to promote was like absolute sex which basically means yes. like fidelity and marriage like black yeah. and white no yeah. sex outside of that so he's like yeah man woman sexual organ belongs to man and that's supposed to be like well that's so romantic you know yeah. <laughs> like, what just coming out of him like seriously yeah, yeah. no i remember him i remember <laughs> absolute six <laughs> like yeah. just his intonations were like you could tell I me mean, he was really trying to add like a ton of you know vigor to his to the, the message that he was giving but it just sounded like weird like a crazy old man literally like a crazy old man and like yeah. a, cra- a crazy like you know horny perverted old man basically when he was yeah talking like, like that back then i was like like because all i knew was like to be a religious person like i thought he was being edgy and like maybe he was thinking this too like he's like oh if i'm edgy then it'll like get people to be like whoa this guy is he's got courage like he can go there and then like bring it back to whatever like and maybe religious people who already grew up religious might have thought that too i don't know or at least for a time back in the day but yeah i mean i think something happens when you get older like you kind of lose your i don't know i mean i think it's pretty natural like i remember stan lee you know the great yeah. comic legend like, yeah he he was in a i think he was maybe 92 or in his early 90s and he was in a podcast that he was like no one was as good as me and like i was the king of comics or something and i was like it sounds like Reverend Moore. <laughs> like he just yeah he was i mean i respect a lot of uh stan lee i think he did a lot of amazing stuff but when he talks about himself it really got to his head i mean he yeah earned it but it's like, don't like tarnish it, man. Like, <laughs> let your PR people talk for you. You're like, you're losing it. Like, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I haven't seen that episode, but I, I, I felt like, I, like even at that moment, you know, when I was a kid, this was probably 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. at that moment in the Washington Times, like the celebration, I, I got that impression. Like he was just, he was bigging up his former self and like, like, you know, living almost living vicariously through his former self and yeah trying to channel that into that audience and it was just so cringeworthy so cringeworthy that I, I, people need to watch that video if you just want to see like the man yeah see that video and then think about being a 10 year old kid being there with your parents and your extended family and then you know yeah I know. 
like is that child abuse <laughs> yeah yeah i mean a lot of what we did go through is child abuse i don't know if that specific instance is child abuse but there's a lot that was so, yeah it's just kind of an extra i guess but yeah exactly just a little joke about child abuse but yeah exactly and actually so just coming back to to stan lee i think that's an interesting like it's an interesting like point of reference and it's actually one of one of the, the questions that i actually wanted to ask last time but didn't get around to asking to asking so now's a good time to do it is i guess so we were like you know we were taught as kids to basically to worship you know reverend moon as well as members of his family you know they were meant to be our heroes they were meant to represent all that was like pure and good and righteous in the world and now that you're out of that mindset i'm just kind of wondering like who do you look up to both in the real world as well as fictional characters? And like, what are some of the folks that, that you think offer inspiration to, to you? And also another part of that is like, what, for me, what's been interesting is kind of actually reading a decent amount of uh, reading, reading, not sorry, reading fiction and finding characters that I could relate to that were kind of like going through similar things. So I'm kind of curious if there's anyone that's been particularly resonant for you on that front as well. Sorry, that's a very long question. Yeah, I guess, like, if anyone asked me who my favorite director was, it might be, like, Mike Judge. <laughs> like, I always, like, ever <laughs> since I first saw Beavis and Butthead in the 90s, I was like, oh, this guy gets it. Like, it's just really hardly any dialogue. Mm. Just, like, I think he just, he really mastered, like, him and a few other comedians are, like, so my parents are, you know, if you take the, the church out of the equation of my parents, they're just, like, blue-collar parents who we've always lived in white collar towns I think because you know the moons lived in a mansion and we had to like live near them so okay. we always felt like imposters and until I pulled away from the church and you know looked back at things and studied economics and history a little I was like oh we're kind of a blue collar family and like mm. yeah Mike Judge kind of he kind of speaks to that and like I yeah. loved the show Silicon Valley because I lived yeah. in San Francisco mm. and I've worked in Silicon Valley yeah and, like I was like, finally, a satire that's like tackling, you know, it, it, it kind of makes people who are maybe, you know, because you can get, you can become a billionaire from doing a startup and like, you can easily become delusional and satire is what humbles you, you know, so yeah. like, I appreciate that he was, it's actually like almost activist work that it's <laughs> like, don't be like this, don't be yeah. like this, that's um, <laughs> a lot of engineers here like some of my friends even like said they can't even watch it it's too real <laughs> i just thought it was so funny like i i've always loved kind of from the gut kind of humor or yeah like characters that are like you know not are just like 100 percent like shamelessly who they are you know yeah so yeah there's a lot of those kind of characters <laughs> yeah one of my favorite lines was there's this one uh, ceo gavin belson who's yep. like the big ty- tycoon he's like i don't know about you but I don't want anyone else making the world a better place better than we do. <laughs> and I guess, you know, growing up under a tycoon's yeah. empire, yeah. like maybe that's what I love so much about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually something you could see. So I don't think, I don't think Moon would ever say that, but I think he would feel it about <laughs> himself. Well, I think that the fact that we, we attached the word true to anything that was his entity yeah like taking a a word that means like this is the best basically yeah like and everyone else is fake yeah like, we added true to everything so yeah. i don't know yeah 
Yeah. No, that's so I've seen so I've seen some of that show. I haven't seen all of it. I think I saw maybe like the first two seasons. But <laughs> that guy Belsom is a great character on that show. And I do think the I think it's the last episode of season one. Sorry, we dig- we digress, but it has the most epic dick joke of of all time. I would say yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just un- unbelievable. It's, it's a great it's a great bit. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I also have friends. Well, yeah, I grew up in New York, and like I had friends in Jersey, and like yeah, a lot of people just talk like that. Like yeah, I remember seeing Clerks in the '90s, and I'm mm. like, they just talk about dicks and pussies all day and then like I actually was in a band in central Jersey when when I was going to art school in New York yeah they do actually talk like that like yeah (laughs) and eventually I just kind of snapped I just I think it was also seeing the movie the aristocrats okay Um, I don't know if you've heard of it yeah I think I've seen it Yeah, Yeah. yeah okay so it's like where they just make a dirty joke and each celebrity from Carrie Fisher to like you know, Bob Saget is like taking this joke their own way. They, basically, that's the whole documentary. Yeah. Like Prettiest joke in Hollywood. Yeah. And everyone just tries to be as gross as possible. Yeah. And then, but it's like, it's a fun thing and it's a humbling thing. And like, mm. that, I think that's what I liked about it is that yeah. like, no one could have a big head about it. And I think yeah. that's why humor is like, you'll never find like a really funny rich person. Cause like, think, I think humor is like, it, it embraces chaos like yeah it, it makes the dirty things and crazy things okay so yeah yeah so i've always been into that yeah now there's a couple of interesting things there. i was i was thinking about you know thinking about mike judge i actually i really like his stuff too if you think about like i like think about king of the hill there's like yeah. you know it's a very of super blue collar but like the, the, there's a lot of love in the family and like all the friends everyone's kind of like yeah. means well and you can tell like they're their hearts in the right place even though it doesn't it doesn't always it doesn't always work out but that's like i don't know it's an interesting i never thought about that yeah office space is one of my favorite films and yeah, that's been that's too. like a classic and part of it i mean even before i started working i just kind of love that film and i guess i kind of i don't know i'm just trying to think like what it is about that style of humor i guess maybe it's just kind of it just takes people off their pedestal. It, it's really kind of kind of focused on that, on like like kind of yeah. like you say, like sat- satirizing the boss or like satirizing the big guys and just like taking them down a notch. Um, yeah, and it makes them like shamelessly, like you know, like Gavin Belson is yeah, um, Gary Cole or I, I forgot uh, oh Lumberg. <laughs> yeah, show. Lumberg, right? Like, <laughs> I, I would say the Bobs who are the people who are like like firing people like yeah. they're a little bit more like Gavin Belson where they just like openly yeah they, they don't realize that they're not filtering what they're yeah. trying to hide so well yeah. with like polite words so yeah. like uh, anyway it's just yeah I love that it, it, I think what it is it's also like angry like yes I, yeah yeah I, I remember reading in a, there's a book called story by Robert McKee it's supposed to okay. be like modern screenwriters bible at least when yeah. I was and there's one section on comedy and basically all the author Robert McKee says is um, if you want to be funny, find out what you're angry about. And that's how you be funny. Huh. <laughs> like, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Well, yeah, I think that's really relevant because I think people like you and I have a unique set of things to be angry about. And yeah, humor can be a way of dealing with that. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's just, I think it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of taboo, I feel like, in the Western world, like, whereas I think in other cultures, like, 
yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, that plays into the whole, like, the Eurocentric or, like, kind of white, like, colonizers and elitism. You know, around the world, there's kind of an, like, a, an attitude of, I guess, exceptionalism, I think. Mm, uh, yeah, totally. And so, like, anger, just in my experience in, like, growing up in, like, white-collar, again, neighborhoods and stuff that we couldn't keep up with, it, it always seemed like anger was, like, this disease or, like, this thing that, like, you had to keep away or, like, you know, in the church, you could only get angry for God. And, like, yeah. in San Francisco or, like, in the Bay Area, you can only get angry about anyone blocking progress. But whereas yeah. in New York, and it's New York's more of a melting pot. And, like, yeah. the first people have to, like, I don't know, this is me being a New Yorker, like, it, whereas probably some someone in California is going to be like, you don't know. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, like, you know, I think it's a place where Harlem is and, like, you know, there's the Puerto Rican Day Parade and there's, like, yeah. other races knowledge and stuff but it's like and they're they're all clumped together so and i think the fact that you are clumped together the weather's more intense like you're more angry and frustrated and so a lot of good humor comes out of new york yeah a lot of good isms and like uh i don't know like that's kind of yeah i forgot where i was going with that but yeah i guess i guess what i'm saying is that this is kind of a rant about living in like you know mostly white rich neighborhoods where like it didn't feel like there was a lot of humor and that yeah. was like something to me like I never, and so like I just got the heck out of there and now I live in San Francisco which is like you know it, it's starting to feel like a white collar suburbs or it has been yeah years, so that's why yeah I'm kind of gonna get out that's part of the reason but. yeah I mean I haven't been there for years but I've read about kind of you know what's the, the gentrification that's been happening there like for the last you know decade plus basically yeah, I think it, it was because there was a mayor named Ed Lee who just kind of opened the doors for tech companies to like take over. And he's like, this will yeah. help us prosper. And all the artists and people have been here for decades are like, whoa, no. Yeah. Like, you don't get it. No, they don't have your best interests in mind. And, yeah. You know, basically don't take the culture of our city. You want to yeah. Keep people make it interesting. And when yeah. I first moved here like 10 years ago, it was more like that. There were more like art galleries that were doing amazing stuff and like pubs and just kind of, it was more kind of, it felt, more adventurous and more yeah and kind of, there were more working class people around yeah uh, now yeah now there's a lot of condos i mean there's still that but it feels like it's in pockets it's not yeah it doesn't feel as much like a city i guess yeah but, but after living in new york any city just feels like a small yeah i know things going to be the same if you've once you've lived there right. yeah yeah i mean it's different it's different here i mean i think if you really want the city experience manhattan is the, the place to be but I, I feel like L London is kind of like a more civilized version of New York it kind of has everything that New York has but it's not as oppressive like there's more green space there's more open air the summers don't you know kill you the winters yeah. don't kill you it's just it's a bit more civilized in general I think that's my own personal opinion but if I was in the U.S. and I wanted the city experience I'd be in I'd be in New York definitely yeah I just I don't know I think it was also that we lived in a house in the woods in the church in Terrytown, yeah. uh, north of the city, about 30, 40 minutes. And, uh, you know, to, we were isolated there. And I just, all I had were my siblings. And, like, the only good times were, like, just going to the city, like, for church events and stuff. Yeah. The hotel, like, that was always, like, just looking out the window at the buildings. It was always, like, this place where, like, things were happening. And people yeah. Were yeah. It was just, like, it just felt so exciting. And then I'd go back to our house in the woods, isolated. And, yeah. Like, <laughs> It's funny because like, yeah, now I live in a place where there's so many outdoors and people are like, I just want to get out of the city and go hiking. And I'm, I'm just like, 
I all I feel is like loneliness in the woods. Like mm. I'm a city person. <laughs> I mean, I, it's okay. Like I don't mind going if maybe if it's with some friends or like a loved one or something. But yeah, just the idea of hiking alone or or feeling just going out and getting like revived by it. I'm like, I don't know if that's my thing based on interesting. my anyway. interesting interesting. What other like what other kind of like you know books or or characters or are you know writers have kind of like spoken to you in your sort of progression out of the church? Let's see, writers. I, I remember particularly like when I was in middle school, and we learned about Upton Sinclair who wrote yeah. the Jungle about yeah. like the meat factories. Like I remember yeah. that struck me as like this thing that stuck with me. Like whoa, this dude's like a badass. Like he yeah. was just like something's wrong here and he spoke up and yeah that, yeah that stuck with me i bought like the, the comic version of that actually by peter okay. yeah so anyone who had i guess like a revolutionary voice maybe part of that was actually the nurturing of because the church was like made to feel like revolutionary and, yeah like, suppressing us and yeah but uh, like speak truth to power kind of thing yeah um, you know but unfortunately that became uh the like call of the alt-right KKK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too. I mean, even way back, it's yeah. just play the victim and that's how you like yeah. attention. But yeah, writers, I don't know who else. Uh, I was just on that talking about like high school. I remember, I remember reading 1984 in high school and uh, it was like, I had this really interesting experience because you know, like Reverend Moon is like uber anti-communist and like, and he kind of, and, and under that guise, he also like, pretends is he, he he pretends to be anti-totalitarian where but he also wants to be king of the world and rule, rule <laughs> like an authoritarian kingdom where he is the figurehead oh, um, he already declared himself the king of the world yeah so. exactly but he still <laughs> claims that like you know like democracy is like kind of the way for like right. he told a really interesting line there but I guess the reason I mentioned that is like, so he, that, that was what he said. And so you're, you know, reading like 1984, you're like, oh my God, you can really see like just how terrible this like repressive, like, you know, communist totalitarian regime is. But then they also get, I guess it was probably like, not even at the end of the book, but just throughout when they're talking about like the way that people are brainwashed in that society. I just saw so many parallels between that and the UC like things like you know they have a t they have a tv in everyone's house that can see both ways so they can be monitored and i know like like thank god i didn't have that in my house when i was growing up but just that idea of, of someone always watching you and making sure you're ad adhering to the rules that was right. definitely part of what i experienced like this idea that like you know any infringement would be reported to to authorities basically well, I, I would say kind of a subconscious version of that looking back was that we had more pictures of the moon family up on our walls than our own family yeah so that was almost like they were watching us at all yeah time. exactly it's yeah. a subconscious version of that we i would yeah. in my house i think we probably technically had more photos of my family up however the pictures of the moon family were more prominent and they took like yeah. pride of place basically in the house and yeah you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, kind of created this version of that, this like window looking at you and, you know, taking control of your house effectively. Oh, it's, really, uh, it's really. really creepy. And I remember the, you know, that the whole, there's a big part of that book is this concept of like two plus two equals five. And like, you just keep oh, telling yeah. someone two plus two equals five and you basically torture them. And then eventually they'll be like, yeah, two plus two equals five. And at that, that whole idea really, it really kind of struck me as like, like what I could kind of see happening around me of just like, 
you know, you can't question anything. You're just going to get beaten over the head with this. And eventually like you, you have, they're going to force you to, to succumb effectively. So yeah, I I think actually, yeah, just reading that book and like like navigating those two dichotomies. I was like, 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 you know, those two aspects. I was like, this is, I think this book is kind of talking about the thing that's been happening to me in my life, even though the thing that's been happening to me in my life says that it's against what this book is showing. Uh, Yeah. I just, I remember one of the first feelings after leaving the church was, I mean, uh, a lot of it was sad. Like I was like, this is what I just took for granted that this is what I'm, this is what I know. This is what feels like home. Yeah. But another part of me was like, like finally things are allowed to make sense. Like mm. I don't need a filter anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I can just go and see things as they are and like interpret that my way. Yeah. Like that's a good feeling. Yeah. Do you think you struggle with that? Like, like that freedom now, like, like, you know, can it be difficult to feel okay with making those decisions? Yeah. I just research the heck out of whatever. It, it's almost okay. like I have to convince the Moonies in my head that like, I, I really believe this because of this, you know? Yeah. But I also had a brother or I have a brother who studied English and he was super like argumentative and like, he was like, well, you have to back up blah, blah, blah. Like, so <laughs> he, he made it like hard to just declare anything, um, okay. which is probably a good thing. Like he's like, you got to be critical and he yeah. was kind of black deep in the family. Um, okay. So I think he also was struggling with those demons of like, well, you have to prove to like the Moonies that this is yeah. like, you know, that way, but that's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Was he ever able to prove anything to, to a Mooney? I don't think there, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> there's too many. I mean, my parents, he fought with my mom like the most growing up. Okay. Um, sadly, um, it's one of the, you know, one of those kids who uh, their parents were gone so long when he was, you know, from when he was born until like a oh, toddler. Wow. He didn't even recognize my mom. She acted one of her missions Jesus. or whatever. Yeah, which was, you know, I might that's talk horrible. about horrible. before, but yeah, that, that's a major problem in the church. I've met yeah. maybe, or people have mentioned, maybe like 10 people I know have mentioned this. And then I found that Sun and Moon gave a direct order for parents to abandon their children for their mission. And he yeah. said like, it's good for them. Yeah. Like, yeah, which is really gross. And like, you know, yeah. um, so that's what Jacob House in New York was. In yeah. Terrytown. Uh, yeah. It was like nursery for like, I mean, some kids had to like take care of their younger siblings yeah. you know, while their parents were gone. My, yeah. my oldest brother was kind of like that too. Um, yeah. And I learned in psychology, it's called parentification. And there's this article I read about it where it's like the, the, the older one, the parent, the uh, like substitute. Yeah. Uh, become codependent on like their value comes from t- nurturing and taking care of the younger sibling. Yeah. And at the same time, that younger sibling becomes dependent on that like yeah. sibling. So they become narcissistic because like this kid doesn't know what they're doing as a parent. Yeah. Like they're like shit. So they just kind of find so much purpose in giving everything to that yeah. the younger one like, expects it and considers themselves an exception. And that dynamic Whoa. absolutely exists in my family. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Uh, I should send you this article. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that we, we could probably do a whole episode on Jacob's house. I mean, my sister was there at a, at a young age. I wasn't, but my sister was my older sister. And I can probably think of, you know, I can think of more people that I know that were there for sure. And yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, I'd be interested to know like how many kids were there and how long were they 
abandoned there for. I mean, I know, like a lot of people we both know, like yeah, have experienced yeah the thing where they didn't recognize their parents when they came back. Um, yeah, I think maybe like a good like a third or something. Or yeah, I would say uh, like if it, what I guess if you were born probably like seventy eight or older in the in, in, on the East Coast in in the church, yeah. like yeah, I, th- I would say you probably had at least a one in three chance of being of that happening to you. Yeah, I think, and but with my parents being, you know, seven, seven, seven plus, yeah, uh, we like, and I think my mom, she knew how to like negotiate with like the higher ups and yeah. myself, like, even. So she got us like, you know, we got to live in a church estate, like, yeah, town. I mean, we lived in in a group kind of housing complex in a it was called Grace Mirror. It was also yeah. near uh, Jacob House, which was more. I don't think it was as. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, even then, I didn't see my dad a whole lot. Uh, more my yeah, mom. yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, there. So there were like communes kind of yeah, like other cults. But yeah, and it's co- other cults do do that as well. They you know they they send the parents off to do whatever mission, and create these like you know centralized childcare places so that the you know parents can go off and you know do whatever. Basically, it's not yeah. uncommon in the cult yeah. world. That was eye-opening to see, and I was like, "Wow! Like this is a known pattern. Like it's, it is, it's nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a known pattern. It, it's it's quite common to, to to do that. Yeah, very common. And I think, I mean, in some cases, I mean, you could even look at. I mean, depends how you want to look at it, but you know, you could view that the GOP program that I took place in sending me to Korea for a year. Obviously, I, w- I was older, but you know, one one could view that under with the the through the lens of like, okay, this was like an intense indoctrination period for this kid, but it also meant his parents didn't look after, didn't have to look after him. So they could, that free, can free up their time to do more church stuff basically. And it's probably a mix of both. I hadn't quite thought of it in that context before, but uh, it's probably a mix of both. And if you think about all the like various educational institutions that are present at various, you know, for various ages, there's actually a lot of opportunity for that to happen to kids. Oh, like in general, like with general social programs or? No, no, no. in the church. Well, oh. I'm saying in the church, like, like, you know, if I look at my upbringing, I could look at the year I spent in Korea as like, okay, at a minimum, you know, an intense indoctrination program that, that I went through for that year. But also one of the benefits for the cult is that it meant that my parents had one less kid to look after for that year so that right. they could, they were free to, you know, pursue whatever other, you know, cult bullshit they were being asked yeah. to do during this. That's- yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you got, when you have someone who says he's the parent of mankind, like your parents are kids under him too. Yeah. Like that's how my parents are. Like they, like, that's what I learned what the major difference was between like parents who were in a group like this versus parents who weren't like parents who weren't would say no or like stand yeah. around. Or, like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, not with, yeah. You're all children of God. Quote, unquote. Yeah. You have one true father who is your provider. He's giving you morals. He's like giving you a job and like paving the way and like giving you safety, basically being your yeah. guardian. So like yeah. literally he is a parent in that sense. Yeah. And so that's what stinks about. Yeah. Like just now as we're adults and a lot of us have to kind of help support our parents because, you know, they, I don't know, they didn't they also felt like they were one of many like in this yeah. church were just members and they, yeah. they weren't you know independent citizens of society who kind of th- thought for themselves and like claimed their stake in like yeah. our space and like yeah I mean, exactly 
Yeah, they're like well, our, I feel like our parents haven't had their own space for their entire adult lives, basically. Yeah, straight out of college and yeah, vulnerable and straight out of their parents' homes. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of them were. Well, I, I don't know this for sure, and I haven't heard this necessarily from my parents, but I've heard of, from other parents in the movement who basically, who basically said that like they were promised, you know, that by Reverend Moon that the members would be like the new leaders in this, you know, new utopian vision that would take over the world, and they would be taken care of as a result of that. You know, they would retire in the most beautiful places, and they, you know, they would be looked after for the rest of their lives. You know, all, all these promises were made, and I, actually, I'm, I'm thinking of someone in particular, that the parent of a kid around our, our age, who I ended up meeting, like, I don't know, actually 10 or 20 years ago, a long time ago, but at that point, he's, he sadly passed away now, but I, m- I remember at that point, one thing that, that I thought was awesome about him was he, he had left the church and he was fucking angry about it. And he was willing to call the church the bullshit that it was and say, he was like, literally like, like yelling about it. Like, like those fuckers, they, they promised everything. They didn't give me anything. Like, you know, you get, you, you guys should don't have anything to do with it. You know, run away from it. Don't have anything to do with it. Like, I like, I hope you really don't, you know, like, and I, I was I actually like, I have a lot of respect for that guy for because he he was yeah. able to see to see it for what it was, right? Turn around, uh, and like he had legitimate reasons to be angry, uh, and like I mean I only met him once, but during that that brief meeting, like he was telling me like a second generation who grew up in it, telling me how fucked up it was, and telling me like you know if I were you I would get the fuck out. Like guy's a uh, fucking baller, <laughs> like like fucking yeah. yeah fucking legend, dude. Um, no, yeah, I mean I have a friend like that too who maybe I mean you know him too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he like I respect him now. I like to talk to him. Like I yeah. saw him maybe like a year ago. I I was I had this film this comedy short I did with a friend. Yeah, at a film festival, and it's like, yeah, and we like rejected him. Like we when we were little kids, we like we ran away from him because yeah, you know, he kind of came from a dysfunctional family. His parents yeah. were very intense. It was always kind of scary to go to his house. Uh, yeah, he never knew what was gonna happen, but like. He, yeah, we, we just, I don't know, we stayed away from him, I think. Part of me is like, was it because he was smart? Like, is yeah. that why? Because like smart people who thought for themselves and had an opinion were kind of like shunned. Yeah. So like, I wonder yeah, big time. Just, like, I just kind of went along with my peer group and yeah. I didn't know at all, but I remember yeah. we, were, we had to stay away from him and I was like, yeah. all right, I don't know why, but okay. Yeah. But then eventually we came to ex- accepting maybe like, I think, yeah, I think was our leader in our group. So like, okay, he came around. Maybe his parents <laughs> had a talk with him or something. Okay, and like we all did. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, smart people then graduated. I think magna cum laude or something in his school. So okay, yeah, but he's also very adamant about his opinions. Yeah, and, like, very vocal. I don't go. Yeah, sometimes it's like too much just to yeah. try to. Anyway, but you know he respects knowledge and he respects research. Yeah. A teacher, so yeah, okay, okay. I don't know yeah. if I should say names too much. Yeah, but... we, I'll take, we, I'll take it out later. I'll take it out later. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want to, like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be respectful unless they say they want to be in, then fine, I'll leave it in, but I'll, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna assume anything here. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying about, yeah, back to that phenomenon of like leaving kids in, in places like that is like deeply disturbing. And I don't, it's funny. I like, I, a lot of this stuff didn't really, I didn't think that much about it until I became a parent. But then when I became a parent and like, just the, the thought of that, I was like, what the fuck? Who, how would you like, what the, 
how what would ever convince you to do that it's fucking well, i think crazy. It's, it's that you kind of get uh fused into a system where you're provided for and you yeah. have to let go of personal property and personal mm. priorities yeah. in order to be provided for yeah so it's this very deep kind of nuanced like pressure uh it's like your survival instincts suddenly depend on this uh, thing that was kind of nurtured into you. It's like, yeah. And it is so powerful. And there are amazing properties that we get grew up on and yeah. programs and promises and philosophies. And it's all just glitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's but, definitely all but glitter. Yeah. It's all facade. Yeah, it is. And like, but I have heard of parents who snapped like, they had yeah. like a psychological break because yeah. they were waiting their kids, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really just, I mean, that's the stuff that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, exactly. And actually one thing that I wanted to mention, I was just thinking about it. Like you, and I just kind of wanted to make it clear, like to the audience is like, you know, you mentioned like your parents were, you know, of the seven, seven, seven blessing and that afforded them the, the ability to, as you say, just to sort of, it, it gave them an, a, an amount of clout within the organization and it gave them it in, in a, I would imagine it probably gave them a bit of an ability to, to influence certain things, as you mentioned earlier, to, to some degree. And I actually, I, I saw that in my upbringing as well. So my parents were like the next blessing 1800. They mm-hmm. were technically not as like, yeah. you know, high level as your parents. But if I think back to their experience, I think they were, all, they also had enough sort of like respect given to them by the organization that they could, they were able to kind of, navigate it probably better than, than some other folks. And I, the reason I bring that up is like, if I think about like the people that came in from like subsequent blessings, like, like after that, that 1800, which I think was in 75, I think like, I, I know that there, there are children of that age cohort who, you know, for instance, have parents who were like, you know, fundraising in vans for the church for like seven years before yeah. they could get married. Right. I don't know. I don't know what happened to your parents, but that didn't happen to my parents. They had, they did different things within the church. They, um, weren't part of, they weren't part of that, like, you know, seven years of fundraising, like nightmare basically. Yeah. And I, um, I guess the reason, let me just so finish this thought. Yeah, yeah. I just want to finish this thought. I guess, I guess I'm just kind of thinking aloud here to me. I, it feels like you and I are actually like weirdly come from a slightly like privileged generation within right. the cult as a yeah. result of having parents who like, you know, joined the pyramid scheme earlier effectively. And I just wanted to acknowledge that like there are probably kids who came later whose parents were like actually suffered a lot more because right. they didn't have that ability to like, you know, right. Like, like influence yeah. things to any level, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah, absolutely. And just like, I remember someone, posted somewhere online in like a discussion group about the church or whatever. But yeah, yeah. this one church member is like, he's like kind of the scribe of the church. He's like the historian. Okay. And okay. he actually, he actually does write things as they are. And okay. like in, a, in a kind of an objective way, like in a yeah. way you wouldn't think a church member would. Like okay. Not adding those glorious words. Yeah. Um, so he said that like, it was when they like, so my parents used to work for this printer company on Brandon street in San yeah. Francisco. And that was like the church's money maker. That was just like a way to make money, like a brick and mortar yeah. shop. But um, yeah. it, like according to this excerpt from the, like a book on the history of the Unification Church, it was when they bought the Belvedere estate in Terrytown, okay. New York, near the Moon Mansion, yeah. um, that they started doing mobile fundraising because they had okay. to make more money. And they found that through mobile fundraising, 
they could make more money quicker because they were like subjecting the transactions. And, okay. Know, basically, that's where the labor trafficking went. Yeah. The church bought more stuff. And then, yeah. You know, and then it just became this machine that kept growing. Yeah. Okay. Overballing. Okay. So that's so that was like maybe early seventies, I think. Or okay. And that's when my parents said like the church was starting to become more about power and money, and they didn't recognize okay. it. Anymore. Left, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That's kind of like the catalyst. What's the moment where it really shifted and the, the need for cash like like shifted into high gear? And you're well, I mean, it's like it's the moment when he started buying fucking estates everywhere. Uh, and yeah. he's like, Holy shit, I can buy more of these if I just get more people, you know, running around in vans for oh, me, you know. Yeah, like, and combine <laughs> that with magical thinking of religious supremacy or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I also think of like you know, I remember reading a little bit about Jeff Bezos. Like, he yeah. started Amazon as just a place to sell books out of his garage. Yeah. Like, very, like, you know, startup story. Yeah. Um, and now he's, like, the richest guy in the world. And, like, the conditions of, like, the stock rooms and stuff are, like, yeah. really bad. He left the jars. And it's, like, very similar. So. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I never thought I'd heard, I'd hear Moon and Bezos put in the same, in, in the same, you know sentence but no i can see what you mean right like he started one one thing like uh, and it just kind of ballooned into this uh, this whole other thing and one of the the byproducts of that is yeah and i read an article yeah and in the atlantic it talked about how like they did brain scans of like people who grew in power or something they did some experiment and like the brain activity that registers empathy like there's less activity, the more personal power you gain. Oh, um, interesting. Like, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it's true. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so if you're a moon and going through that, then it, it just becomes a snowball of like, you know, more and more power and less empathy, basically. And then. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. And it's like, it takes effort to have empathy. So, yeah. or, well, also personal experience and like discipline and, and also just not having magical thinking and not attaching uh, meaning to things that happen in your life that's based on like folklore or yeah history. yeah exactly uh, yeah I mean there not to say that religion's all bad but I think you know this one cult researcher I forgot who it was but he was like it's not about the beliefs it's about what you do with those beliefs and I think that's like very true like there's some Christian charities and some you know christians who don't talk about religion much and they just try to do good things but then there's others who are just really selfish there's like the yeah. ball well it's a joke yeah you know? exactly. and of course moon was in bed with them and gave yeah. them a lot of money for liberty yeah. university yeah I, they totally worked with each other yeah. yeah yeah do you think actually just going back to the like this idea of like moon's personality this is a, a question this is something that i've pondered and I'm, I'm not going to tell you my opinion on it because I want to hear, hear your opinion without the influence of mine. But so mm-hmm. if you think back on, on everything that he did, do you think he actually believed his bullshit? Like, or did he know that he was a con man? Did he actually think he was, you know, the second ad, Lord of the second advent and all this bullshit? Or was he just like, oh, I can fucking, I can fuck with these people and take their money. You know, I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if anyone will ever know. Uh, maybe some of his family do know, but I'm just wondering if you have an opinion on that. I mean, he used to, I mean, he started out in like weird sex cults and stuff. And I think he believed it just based on what I've studied about his life and okay. his timeline. 
I think he does believe it. And his kids also, like, I've heard people ask the same thing about, like, Sean Moon, for example, the yeah. Sanctuary Church. Like, yeah. I would think he probably, because, yeah, it just, all the money and power, like, it just, like, got so deep in there. Like, I don't know. It just kind of, I think, I mean, Sean Moon, he grew up in America. And, like, he, I don't know. I think he also probably believes, yeah, in the, in the magical thinking maybe more okay. than he doesn't. I think Moon, yeah, I think Moon was completely like this is all from God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you he, he, you think he he believed that it was from God? He like he he, he believed all that. He didn't think he, he didn't. Yeah, I think oh. he, he. I could do no wrong and like whatever. Yeah. Like I just like one more thing I'll add to it. Like this yeah. one podcast called it was just called Cults. Like it did some episodes on the Moonies. That, yeah. Uh, they claim that uh, their theory is that when he got tortured and that. Was it the North Korean prison camp or? Yeah, yeah. it was Japan in Nam, North Korea. At least that—that's what I remember from right. the church mythology. Was Nam, North Korea, prison camp in North Korea? Yeah. Okay, so when he was tortured there, like they claimed that was the uh, moment where he experienced the trauma of feeling so powerless and defeated that he was like, "I'm going to rule the world." And I was like, okay. "That's an interesting theory. I never heard that." So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could believe that. And then you couple, I mean, you couple that with uh, like, you know, we were talking about this last time, all the, all the kind of like anti-Japanese sentiment that comes with, you know, North Korea being occupied by Japanese. And if he's being like, you know, tortured by Japanese, then, and he's in that powerless moment and he's like, okay, I want to take over the world. You know, he he lives through that. I want to take over the world. I want to have all the power. And part of the structure of that power is going to be pretty like blatantly like racist against japanese which yeah played out yeah yeah which played out right yeah exactly yeah that makes complete sense yeah i think you were gonna follow up with like what you thought (laughs) so i actually yeah okay no no no, that's a good that's a fair it's fair point i think he was in on it i think he was full of shit i think he knew what he was doing and the reason i think he knew what he was doing is that somewhere online after he passed away I saw a photo of him on his deathbed. There was, and there was all this drama in the church about like, I, I don't know, like apparently like Hak Jahan wanted to, I don't know, wanted to like end his life. And like Sean Moon didn't want to like, didn't want to take him off life preserving, you know, machines or whatever. Maybe I'm getting the story mixed up. There's some kind of drama, like family drama, like, do we pull the plug? Do we not? And there's, of, of course, some people are saying providentially it has to be this. Others are like providentially it has to be that, but I, all kinds of bullshit. But there, as a result of that, someone like published this photo of him on his deathbed, and he looks really scared. He, he looks like yeah. frightened of what might be coming next. And I think if you really believed that you're the Lord of the Second Advent and you're going to go to the best place in heaven and you're, you know, all this you're going to be living with God and all this bot. You're going to be, you know, ruling the kingdom of heavenly, whatever, all that crap that he believed in. I think if you really believed in that, wouldn't you be happy that you were finally going there as opposed to looking, you know, probably as scared as I'm going to look on my deathbed or anyone else would look. Yeah. Something about seeing that photo made me think otherwise made, made me think that like, but then what do you think about like, when he made those senators or whatever crown him and like hand him the scepter, you know about that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, would, I, I yeah, I remember it was a big deal. Yeah, 
Um, so you think that's all just like bogus too? Like he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just these suckers are gonna like fall. I think stuff. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's like <laughs> almost like, what kind of crazy shit can I get away with? Like, oh yeah, okay, I'll ask some senators oh. to, put, to put a crown okay. on my head. Because again, I think of Stan Lee saying like, I'm the best. You know, yeah. no one can catch me, and I'm like, yeah. I think that's where that's true. Well, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That would indicate that there was that amount that you know amount of self-belief but could it be a self-belief and like i'm the best at just doing this thing which is like pulling the wool over people's eyes <laughs> and just uh, you know i guess we'll never yeah. know yeah maybe, exactly. maybe like his kids would know maybe they'll talk about it more yeah yeah but yeah i know they well they spoke out when in the shadow of the wounds that book came out by Nonsuk. yeah so yeah i remember Unjin, who's like one i think one of the first kids to leave she was like yeah they were like do you believe your father's messiah it's like he's just my father you know so yeah i don't know but but that's how she viewed it that's not speaking for him so i don't know yeah yeah i don't know yeah i don't think i don't think we'll ever have a concrete answer to that but but we know that it's just overall not good and we know that promises are but well what i've learned is like and basically i've been you know, I've been to like four or five protests here. Yeah, I yeah. wrote postcards to dem- to Democrats to like vote here. Yeah, I've learned. You know, when Trump came around, I became hyper vigilant, and because I'm like, I know this personality. Yeah, I know that this guy is like a steamroller of narcissism, and it's gonna yeah. work. On people. Yeah. So like, that's what I gained from this whole church experience. It's like, yeah, and you know, these people are very powerful, and as long as they can keep guaranteeing things and whenever people get disappointed and call them out they'll guarantee more yeah and as long as they keep that ball yeah. rolling people will keep staying on because they also yeah. have unlimited wealth and they find ways to like convince people and it's just a never-ending just empty promise so. yeah yeah I, th- I think that's i think that, that's a good way that's a good way to describe it okay so let me ask you this do you think trump believes his bullshit i don't no i don't think so actually okay Okay. Yeah, I feel like he's more, he, he, he thinks people are suckers and yeah, I don't know. he just like, yeah, he thinks he's superior and no, he's, he's not as religious. He is religious, but I think he also views religion as like, yeah, this is how, this is the avenue I have to use. To yeah. Like yeah. He's exploiting it, right? He's exploiting it. I mean, yeah. he clearly doesn't believe in any of the tenets of Christianity. He's just espousing those beliefs to, to try and gain the vote, but I think, I mean, he's been, it's pretty clear, you know, he kind of, I think he actually like openly despises a lot of people that vote for him, you know, like, like he's not kind to, to blue collar America, even though he claims he is. And so it kind of makes me wonder if like, if moon is the same way, like, like almost like, like I'm, I'm better than, I'm better than all of you. And I'm just going to, I'm going to exploit you, um, exploit all of you, but tell you that, that I'm not exploit. I'm going to tell you that the opposite, I'm going to overpromise, And like you said, I'm never going to deliver. I'm just going to do bigger and bigger promises. But meanwhile, I know that, I, that what I'm doing is like actually like not good for you. It's like actively damaging to you. Yeah. Well, and then there, there's also the element of the KCIA was like the Korean CIA yeah. also got involved and. They were there was this guy Donald Frazier in the seventies who was trying to investigate Moon and his connection to the CIA and they and you know the church and Moon kept like pushing him away and yeah. eventually like Moon got away uh, from that case which would have been the big blow up case uh, yeah. because he like 
he changed his name and he flew to like the UK or something. Like he, he escaped. Yeah, he got through some straight up mobster shit. Yeah, he just like, so yeah, like he just, he got away. But Donald Frazier, who was like, I believe a congressman or something of this composite, I forgot which state, but he was on it and he was like, you know, you can find this Frazier report online. I like my dad's names in it and like some of our- No way. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, he's like, so there's that too. It's like Moon was being used as like a tool yeah the kcia allegedly and uh, uh even on the cia website there's like this excerpt from like a news article about that okay uh, that basically asserts that completely so yeah okay yeah so he could have been a tool of tool of theirs believing god knows what believing whatever yeah you know like right. i guess i'm saying i mean yeah. like that that's a point of that's a point where his thought process could have been certainly been influenced by the kcia in terms of whatever he was doing and you know might have led to a a pretty like cold and like rational thought process on his side like okay i need to do whatever these guys are asking me to do regardless of whatever i think like you know god is telling me to do or whatever like you know these yeah spooks are telling me to do x so i gotta do it yeah he probably just made up reasons and it's easy to like feel like you're doing good things when tons of money is coming your way to give you that dopamine rush or whatever but uh yeah yeah exactly one th- i'm not sure if we covered this last time we spoke but i'm just i'm just kind of curious and it was it's kind of it was an interesting conversation i was having with someone else which is like okay if you were to talk to yourself when you were younger like like when you were considering leaving the church oh. what are what would you say to yourself then knowing what you know now mm. what like yeah what would you say to yourself well, let's keep it open-ended well i just think i'm a distinct period in my life when I think I was like maybe 19 or 20 and I was yeah. like, what do I do next with my life? I did two years at University of Bridgeport and then kind of in limbo at home. I was actually on the fence about, should I go to Chungpyeong or should I go to New York and just like give life a try? Yeah. Uh, okay. For those that don't know, Chungpyeong is a church workshop center in Korea, a very intense church workshop center. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's become somewhat of like a Mecca, like a palace. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, it was, I did STF, which is, you know, the college or, you know, free college program, like yeah. frontline church work. And I didn't go to the blessing or like the yeah. range marriage. And yeah. so it was like, part of me, it was like, I just need to get all these monkeys off my back. So yeah. I was like, wait, I, you know, that's how you grow up in the church feeling. You're like, it's never enough. And you always have to do this next church. Thing. Yeah. So I recognize that kind of, but at the same time, I was like, but if I do it, it'll be off my back. And it, so it was mm. like, should I step into the unknown? Which is, you know, you read about it in books, like the road less traveled. Or yeah. So, yeah, I would just, I don't know. I would just tell myself, yeah, dude, go to New York. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just be like, yeah, man, like, you know, you don't feel it now, but the person you want to become is there. And uh, yeah, yeah um, you know, give life a chance. And like, I know that, the church is like it feels like the life that was carved out for you like your place where you belong but it's you don't know anything else yet yeah. <laughs> you don't know that you don't know that yet so yeah it's know it yeah. yeah yeah so just get out there and experience it on your own it's funny yeah. like, like the, the idea that like going to new york as a you know as a 20 something 
is like the road less traveled. Like, like no one's ever done that before. And like, I think about that, like here, like I live in London and it's a, there's a very tried and true path for like many people around this country is like, you know, they grow up wherever and probably half of them move to London after they graduate yeah. university or during university. And New York is like kind of the same thing for the US. I guess there's a few other cities in the US, but like yeah. if I had stayed in the US, I feel like I probably would have ended up in New York just because it's that is that sort of place. And so, yeah, I just think it's hilarious that like that was the road less traveled for you because of how we grew up. But for like most people, yeah. that would be like just a pretty like, you know, standard normal thing, normal thing yeah. to do. Well, for people who actually have savings in their family and they can afford it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you have like a little bit of just like not just like saving savings, but just like stability, like stability yeah. and structure in your family. I think that goes a long way uh, to making you like just feel okay with taking those risks and you know doing something like that. Yeah. And the stars kind of aligned because we stayed with a church family who they weren't really in the church anymore. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah uh, and they had an extra room. And then, yeah, my friend I stayed with who also grew up in the church was also, he's working for a church company, but he smoked and drank and, he okay. doesn't care, you know, like, yeah. he's just kind of a social movie, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. so it was good. It was a, it was, it was okay for like those first two years. And I remember getting that letter the first time under my door of like, you know, we're going to um, try to renovate this room and make it, you know, rent it out to other people. So if you can move out like in a month and like, I remember my heart sank because again, like just the idea of like, living in New York, but not through people I knew and just yeah. like with my, of my own income was like ridiculous. And it was a yeah. crazy rocky road. Like I lived in a windowless basement apartment for a while. And oh, like wow. was bumming at other like kind of church related friends places uh, yeah. in between. And like, like that person's wife was getting frustrated with me staying there so long while I was trying to look for a job and an apartment. Yeah. It was so stressful. Oh, but, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was all so stressful, but like, yeah, in the end, like, you know, I just, yeah, I met other people who also were in like a lot of student loan debt because it's yeah. like a national problem. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I found like misery loves company, and but also really <laughs> ambitious people. Like I was there because yeah. I was ambitious and, yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, that's kind of what I want to go back to, like going back to New York. Yeah. So I'm yeah. still, still want to make projects. I still want to talk about this or that and like put it in like music or film or whatever. Yeah. So I'm actually going to meet up with someone after this to borrow a MIDI keyboard to, you know, maybe I'll get Ableton, the software too. Yeah. And start again, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. Keep me posted on your art projects. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I think we should wrap it up for now. So I'm going to, I think, yeah, for now, like this has been really good. I'm just going to say thank you very much. And, uh, you know, wish, certainly wish you all the best. And yeah, let's keep, you know, keep me prized of the art projects. Totally. Any parting words for the, for the listeners? God, there's like so much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess I'll just say like the host Elgin is like, I, I don't know if you can see this, if it's on video or just audio, but yeah. he has like a, david bowie like picture behind it <laughs> so elgin comes from a very like kind of artsy like we both like operation ivy like punk kind of bands and stuff like that and he also grew up in dc or maryland where there was very political so like i feel like you're the right person to be like 
hosting this. Like, oh, cool. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear it. And I guess just on that, well, I I do like, I've been thinking about how this whole thing is going to work. Like, and I I was kind of like alluding to this. Like, this is definitely going to be like, just unapologetically DIY. So if anyone's listening and like nitpicking about the audio quality or like, or some bullshit like that, like, like, sorry, like, like, like you're talking to the wrong person. Cause like, like I'm just trying to get this out there, you know, like, 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 yeah, this is, this is all about just getting it done as opposed to getting it done perfectly basically. And that's what I, that's what I want to do. So the audience is to come to bear with me and I'm sorry if like, you know, the decibels are out of whack or whatever, like just deal with it. Or if you want to volunteer your time, if you're like really good at that shit, then, you know, you know help, help me out if it matters that much to you. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you send it, like, it's funny, I'll, I'll hesitate to do it. I'll be like, I want to do my own projects. But then if I do hear discrepancies, <laughs> I'm just going to start editing it and be like, oh no, I did three hours of work for free. Yeah. No, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. Just like, you know, this is a warts and all type of project. Like, I just want to get it out there and, and, and get it done. I am critical about sound quality. Like, my biggest pet peeve is when someone like is really loud and the other person's really yeah, quiet. Yeah. So like things like that, I think are really yeah, important. Yeah. Yeah. No, otherwise. I mean, I guess, I guess, but let, me, let me rephrase that. Like, I don't want to put out a shitty project, but <laughs> I'd rather, I guess, I guess I just want people to know, like, like I've never done this before. I've got the, I've got the willingness to learn the willingness to, you know, to have these conversations with people, but yeah, I'm not an expert at any of this. And so, yeah, there's going to be some hiccups along the way, but I just, I think it's more important to, you know to get like 90 percent of the way there and get it out as opposed to like you know trying to get to 100 percent but never quite you know never quite getting it right uh, like 100 percent right and never quite getting it out so yeah i guess right that, that's that's just that's what i that's the message that i want to give to people cool. um, yeah i think people will just be happy to hear what you have to say yeah over anything or yeah guess, so. yeah exactly i guess that yeah that that's what, what i'm trying to get to mm-hmm. yeah Cool. All right, my friend. Let's let's end it there. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Looking forward to, to seeing this through. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Folks, there you have it. It's the end of part two of my interview with Teddy Hose. Once again, many thanks to Teddy for getting involved in all the ways that he has with this project. If you've listened from the beginning, you've heard six episodes. That's interviews with three different people. And I hope you found value and insight and meaning and maybe even a few laughs in those interviews. In terms of where I'm going from here, after this initial launch, this is going to be a recurring project. My goal is to release between two and four episodes per month. So please hit that subscribe button to be notified when future episodes launch. If you want to get involved with this project, contact me. My website is fallingoutpod.com. I'm also on Twitter at fallingoutpod. And beyond yourself, if there are people that you think could benefit from this, send them a link to the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Send them a link to my website, fallingoutpod.com. They'll be able to listen to all of the interviews there for free forever. And you never know, you may end up changing someone's life just by connecting them with the insights of the people that I've interviewed and that I will interview in the future. On that note, I want to end with a tale that illustrates the power of telling these stories about leaving extremist groups. About a year ago, 
I met someone who had recently left a cult that wasn't the Moonies. And we started talking about leaving cults, and that conversation was one of many that gave me the inspiration to, to do this project. But what this guy told me was that he was in this yoga and meditation cult, and he watched the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country. And in watching that, he could see the similarities between that experience and the cult that he was in. And by watching that story unfold before him, the penny dropped in his head and he had an epiphany that there was a strong likelihood that he himself was in a cult. And he immediately, once he made that connection as a result of watching the stories told in that documentary, he went and Googled, am I in a cult? And he found some questions to ask himself. And as a result of asking those questions, and I'm sure much more soul-searching, he eventually left that cult, and now we're good friends. But the reason I mention that is there is power in telling these stories, and I want people to know that. So I'm interested in hearing your stories, and I think there are other people like my friend and like a younger version of me or you that want to hear your stories. So if you're interested in telling those stories, please contact me. Thanks a lot, folks. Stay safe. Talk soon, and keep your eyes open for more from Falling Out.